Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Lin-Manuel Miranda grew up in a working-class neighborhood north of Harlem. He went to a fancy school for gifted kids on the Upper East Side. He went to college at Wesleyan, and not long after he graduated, he had a hit Broadway musical, In the Heights. He's also the creator and star of Hamilton, the award-winning, massively influential musical about the founding father. I mean, not that I have to explain what Hamilton is on NPR. Uh, These days, Lin-Manuel is in a spot in which not many artists find themselves. He can do pretty much whatever he wants, take on any project. So, what did that mean for him? He started another show on Broadway. Freestyle Love Supreme is an improvised hip-hop performance where the performers get their prompts from the audience. Before Broadway shut down, I got to see it in New York. It's a delightful show, a combination of improv comedy, and freestyle hip-hop that you won't see almost anywhere else. There's a documentary about the show coming out in July on Hulu. It's called We Are Freestyle Love Supreme. When I talked with Lynn last year, he was doing something completely different, the HBO show His Dark Materials. It's a fantasy series based on the book of the same name. It centers around a young girl named Lyra, who's trying to find her kidnapped friend. Lyra grew up in Oxford, UK, but her journey takes her far from home to a desolate and dangerous region known as the North. There, she meets a guy named Lee Scoresby, played by Miranda. In this clip, Lyra and Lee realize they're looking for the same thing, a bear. Has anyone seen a bear? What do you want with a bear? You're bleeding. Answer the job. And what job do you do? I'm an aeronautics. What part of being an aeronaut? Let me give you a tip, kid. Never upset a seagull. You're not serious. Not if I can help it. Will he want to see you, Miss Beth? I hope so. You know where he is, don't you? Town's no place for your... How do you know him? Well, she's just a sprung box, and she? she just keeps asking questions. Lee Scoresby, can you tell me where to find him? Uh, Lynn, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Long-time listener, uh, long-time fan. Happy to be here. Oh, that's very kind of you, and I apologize for canceling on you the last time uh, when my child was born. <laughs> that was that was a very valid excuse, and I was happy to, to have the hour. It was during a very hectic time in my life, too. <laughs> um, is His Dark Materials another one of these things where you weaseled your way in because it was something that you've <laughs> always loved or is this a regular acting job where you you know this was a straight up off route of the blue i was in london at the time uh filming mary poppins returns and uh jane tranter the producer of the series and jack thorne the writer uh invited me to dinner and and sort of thought of me for it and i would not think of myself as a natural fit uh, for this role. I, I don't think I'm anyone's first choice for a Texan aeronaut. But Jane Trenter said she had seen me at a thing. Um, she was she was a fan of my work, but she had seen me at the closing night of In the Heights in London. And she said that she saw me bound up on the stage. And she said, you looked like a human rabbit. And I thought, is that Lee Scoresby? Um, 
So I guess the answer to your question is yes. I, I was a big fan of these books before I got this offer. There was um, movies of these books before, you know, five years ago or seven years ago. And the part that you play was played by a guy who I'm sure you're all constantly sitting next to at auditions. And one of those things, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. I mean, he was almost Hamilton. He was almost Dusnavi. I mean, we just constantly <laughs> going in for each other's gigs. Um, why did you not think of yourself as this kind of guy? Well, honestly, I, uh, I'd i seen the movie and I thought Sam Elliott's about as perfect as it gets. And um, and what was, what was interesting about their take on it was they're big fans of Once Upon a Time in the North, which was this novella prequel that Philip Pullman wrote, um, where Lee is much younger and it's sort of where he meets Yorick Bernison, who's the armored bear uh, in the series. And and so they were they were just sort of thinking in a in an entirely different way. And I I was a big fan of Jack Thorne's Harry Potter adaptation for the stage. Um, so I was like, well, if he sees it, I'm gonna I'm gonna fake it till I make it. I mean, it, I think it speaks to your relatively unusual priorities in having having perhaps accidentally gained uh, what here in Hollywood they call heat uh, <laughs> by making, you know, the, the biggest hit musical of the last 20 years or whatever, um, which is like... I think most people would just go straight to, yeah, I guess I should try and be a movie star. And you start in a movie, but it feels like you are making choices on an entirely different basis. And a little bit, maybe it feels like you have, you have decided to like take this moment and almost play like, uh, you know, show business fantasy camp. You know what I mean? Like just do do little things that you would always have loved to have done. If it had, you know, In the Heights was a successful show that recouped its money and won the Tony. And that's about as good as you can expect from a Broadway musical. We don't get off the arts and leisure page necessarily, but, you know, we get done in high schools and, and the show lives on. Um, and I thought that was as big a success got. And then Hamilton happened and... By then, I was married with a kid. I had done some TV shows with mixed success. I'd done a little movie stuff. Um, and um, frankly, I don't have to do anything ever again. I know it's the first line of my <laughs> obituary. Um, that's what Hamilton is. So, okay, so if that's that line is handled, then what else can I do with my time here? Is it hard when opportunities present themselves uh, that are like public facing famous person opportunities to maintain the part of your identity that is maybe even more a writer and composer than a performer, though you certainly have always been both. At this point, I know who I am and I know what is for me and what is not for me or what, what will stretch me or what I can learn from. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like I did get a Marvel call that I said no to, and I may kick myself about it forever, <laughs> but I got the call and it was for a part that will remain nameless. And I said, and I was still in Hamilton at the time. And I said, when does it film? And they said, we'd probably start immediately after you finished. 
like July. I, I finished the show July 11th of 2016, and it would, I would like be getting into costume July 12th. And I said no, because I want to stay married. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, realized I just, uh, I really need to get off the merry-go-round uh, because the year of Hamilton was such a loud year. I think if I got you to reveal what Marvel part you had turned down, uh, that would be the first line of my obituary. <laughs> well, I, I, I would hate for that to be the first line of your obituary, so let's leave it at that. Let's let's talk a little bit about your growing up. So you grew up in pretty far uptown New York, and you went to Hunter College Elementary and High School, which is like a fancy school for smart boys uh, and girls. And you went there with like a with other fancy people. Yeah, we. I mean, we were eating paste like everyone else. We were subsequently fancy <laughs> when we got out of school. At what point did you realize that your life at home and in the context of where you grew up was kind of a different lane from your life at school and your peers there? Uh, When I was five, because the pronunciation of my name changes (laughs) depending on where I am. So to be Lynn at school, because I couldn't take Lynn Manuel or Lynn Manuel, I was like, Lynn, Lynn is fine. And then Lynn Manuel in my house uh, and speaking mostly Spanish at home and English at school. So my first musical in the Heights, there's a character named Nina. It's her first time off to college. And she's so at sea with the like cultural code switching that has to happen um, because she grew up and went to school in her neighborhood and is now in this like elite school that happened to me at a really young age. Um, So I learned the two languages um, when I was in kindergarten. And I, I think I probably have mentioned this on Bullseye before, but I, I had a friend come visit me from my middle school. He came to my house in San Francisco, and he lived in the suburb south of San Francisco. My mom gave us some money to go get ice cream, literally. Uh, and we were walking down San Jose Avenue in San Francisco. And he looked at me, and he was like, he said something like, "Hey, is this okay? Like, is or I'm I'm a little nervous or something." And I wasn't upset with him for being nervous in my neighborhood. Maybe I was a little bit, but what I what shocked me in that moment as a twelve year old or eleven year old or however old I was was I was like, "No, dude. If we had gone left at the corner, not right." <laughs> <laughs> that's when you should be nervous. <laughs> like, like there's it's that places block, to be not nervous. This block. Exactly. Like everyone knows this is this block is fine. Totally. I, and I had my version of that. It was like, don't go down Academy. What are you crazy? Go up <laughs> this street. Um, yeah, I, I, I had I had my version of that. But my school was so far that I just I did my kids really very rarely came to my house. Like. Everyone lives lived on the Upper West Side or Upper East Side, or there or there were like outliers who lived all the way downtown. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just uh, my, the playdates were one sided. I was going to the kids who lived closer to school. Did you notice that at the time? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, someone was asked me, "What's the significance of ninety six thousand? Which is the it's sort of the arbitrary number I picked for the lotto winning in, in the Heights, my first musical. And one, it just sings nicely, 96,000. But I think 
I think subconsciously the reason is 96th Street is just like such was such an invisible like barrier of like rich versus less so. $96,000. Somebody won. $96,000. I remember getting a McDonald's meal on 86th Street for $349. And then you cross the street to 106th Street McDonald's and it's $299. Um, like it's literally, that's the jump between 10 blocks uh, from our school. Um, so like that's always been this line of like, will you cross it to come to my house where, you know, Folks don't have as much money, and it's not the richest zip code in America. I didn't know until I read it today that you directed a high school production when you were in high school of West Side Story. Um, I mean, that's a little on the nose, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I, I like, so on the one hand, here's the thing about it, right? Like, on the one hand, West Side Story is as good as it gets. You know what I mean? Like West Side Story, it rules. <laughs> you know, it's spectacularly yeah. good. On the other hand, what a weird what a weird thing to make my largely white and Asian class class play uh Puerto Rican. Yeah, I mean like <laughs> I feel like it might even be better if it feels to me like it could even be better if you were like getting them to record their own version of a big pun album or something like that, you know, like something <laughs> Come that on, is. Guys, it's hard to analyze which guys despise. Be advised, people. <laughs> but like to be directly responsible for translating something that is directly of your experience as a Puerto Rican American in New York, right? But to be responsible for both for translating that experience to these you know, white and Asian kids in your high school and hopefully some Latino kids too. Two, I think. I think I had two female Latina sharks. And I would have had Dane Martinez, but he did basketball that year and I may never forgive him. Uh, but the other the other piece of it, Lynn, is that like you are you're responsible for that translation, but you're already you're already translating you know, a, um, a, a secondary text. You know what I mean? Like, this is something that's already translated through through a bunch of white Broadway dudes in 1955 or whenever that musical was fully, written. Fully, fully. And, and, and that's always what I say is sort of the great blessing and curse of West Side Story is it's one of the great musicals, full stop. And for a large segment of the world, and I literally mean the globe, that's their first image of a Puerto Rican character is a Greek guy with brown makeup on in the movie. Um, so it's a false representation, not an authentic one, but that becomes the default stereotype because of the success of the show. And so, yeah, I mean, directing it my senior year was enormous fun, um, but I also used it as a teaching experience. I brought my dad in to do dialect work with the white and Asian sharks that I had at my disposal because, again, Dane Martinez, who was great as Paul in Chorus Line the year before, decided to do basketball. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was uh, I guess it is a little on the nose, <laughs> but, but it was also so interesting for me because it was the beginning of my pulling Ling Manuel from uptown into Lynn at school and integrating those and using theater to do that. And I don't think it's an accident that I started writing in the Heights 
two years later, my sophomore year in college, because I also recognized the limits of using an existing show to try to get anything close to an authentic experience on stage. I realized I'll never dance well enough to play Bernardo, and that's about it in the canon if I really want to do this for a living. So no one's going to write your dream show. It's pretty audacious to write your own musical. Yeah. <laughs> I have a buddy in I had a buddy in college who uh he like disappeared into his room for 4 months and when he came out he had made a a rock and roll EP. And we didn't really know that was a thing that he did. Like we knew he played guitar. Uh-huh. Uh but we didn't know he wrote songs or anything. And I remember just being like who has the temerity to think that their creativity is worthwhile? <laughs> you know well, what I mean? I, but I, I felt the same way for so long. But I thought nothing of people who started their own rock bands or started their own hip-hop groups. Um, it's sort of like that barrier is lower, right? But somehow musicals are, whoa, la-di-da, you write musicals. Look at you, Mr. Bernstein. And... The thing that tore that barrier down for me was seeing Jonathan Larson's Rent for my 17th birthday. Rent was the first musical that truly felt contemporary. Uh, for better or for worse, it felt like, oh, this guy wrote this downtown. And it's, some of these songs only have three chords. And he's writing about his own experience. And he's writing about being scared of selling out and being an artist and being scared of dying. I'm scared of all those things. Um, and that... After I saw Rent, I started writing 20-minute musicals for this thing we had at our high school called Brick Prison. Um, we have a windowless school. And so Brick Prison is the name of the theater program that's all student-directed and student-written. Um, but again, it's that who, who are you to have the temerity to write a musical, the great American art form? And Rent was the thing that was like, it's why is this different than your friends who are making like their own mixtapes in the basement? I went to performing arts high school, and I we're about the same age, so Rent came out uh, and became a cultural phenomenon at a similar point in our lives. Even as, at the time, an actor, I definitely was deeply uncomfortable with the Rent people. Uh, <laughs> like, becoming a Rent guy at the time was a real line in the sand. It meant that you were willing to commit to a level of musical theater. Uh, I'm speaking from the perspective of an anti-rent person. I'm probably in the middle at this point in my life. Uh, but like a level of musical theater corniness. I think as you grow up, and I wasn't there yet in high school, like I sang Rent with my friends in jazz chorus Mm -hmm. But I wasn't playing Rent out of my boombox on the courtyard steps. I was playing Mark Anthony in Big Pun. You know, right. I also could read, you know, part of code switching is reading the room. <laughs> and I wasn't bringing all of myself into every room when I was still in high school. It was sort of like I play theater with these kids and then I could go hang out and like freestyle with my friends terribly with these friends. Um, and then, you know, the one memory I share with my wife from high school is that she remembers me blasting Mark Anthony on the steps and we had like a dance together because she was another like Latina in a school with not many Latinos in it. Um, and so 
I could contain all these things, but with separate clicks in high school. And then as you grow up, you kind of say it and you just try to bring all of yourself in the room. And In the Heights was my first attempt at that. It was my first attempt at writing the Latin music I'd grown up with, but also mixing it with a storyline that in the college version was pretty rent terrific. I mean, it was just sort of this love triangle that was set in this neighborhood. And it wasn't until I started working with Chiara years later uh, that it became its own thing and it really became about the neighborhood itself. When did you start rapping? Oh, I have, I mean, I have like crappy little kid raps when I was little that were modeled after Run DMC and all the stuff we were fed in the 80s. And I really liked fat boys and disorderlies. I liked funny rappers. Like I loved Biz Marquis and I loved Slick Rick. Um, and then um, I started like earnestly writing not very good raps in high school. Um, like during far, you know, it's funny. Like I think of 91, 92, I listened to your interview with David, which was so fantastic. But the East Coast, West Coast divide means we really listen to different on the radio. Like, it was very, I did not know UGK existed until college. Were you uh, mostly doing writtens or were you freestyling when you were a kid? I was, I was doing poor writtens. And then when, when my friends would freestyle in high school, I would beatbox and be like, pass it, pass it, pass it. <laughs> Don't pick me. Don't pick me. Uh, and then it wasn't it wasn't until college that I started freestyling seriously because I realized, well, one, I was just writing a lot more. And so I, I found that when I freestyled, it was better. More with Lin-Manuel Miranda when we come back from a quick break. Still to come, so many times Hamilton fans would tell Lin how much they loved the show, despite the fact that they weren't usually hip-hop fans. And he'll tell me why that didn't always feel that great. Stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Comedian Nicole Byer doesn't consider herself body positive. She just accepts herself as is. I hate that there's a name for, like, not hating a part of who you yeah. are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's insane. Nicole Byer on her new book, Very Fat, Very Brave, and How to Love Yourself. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I started listening to Ono, Ross, and Carrie shortly after I broke my arm, and the doctor had told me I'd never walk again. I was allergic to water. Addicted to wheatgrass. I knew it was time to make a change. There's something about Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie that you just can't get anywhere else. They're thought leaders, discoverers, founders, healers, luminaries. Ross and Carrie don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. They take part themselves. They show up so you don't have to. But you might find that you want to. My arm is better. I can walk again. Six months. No wheatgrass. Just go to MaximumFun.org. Thank, Thank you, Ross, Ross and Carrie. Ona Ross and Carrie is just a podcast. It doesn't do anything. It's just sounds you listen to in your ears. All these people are made up. Goodbye. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening to my interview from 2019 with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He has a lot going on right now. July 3rd will mark the premiere of a filmed version of Hamilton, the show that he created. It'll show on Disney+. Later that month, We Are Freestyle Love Supreme will premiere on Hulu. It's a documentary about the improvised hip-hop comedy show that Lin co-created called Freestyle Love Supreme. Let's get back into our interview. Were you auditioning 
for stuff when you got back to New York from college? I was uh, teaching at my old high school. Uh, I, I taught full-time the first year, and then I basically became a professional sub while I was writing in the Heights because I found I could – if I subbed like five times a week, I could cover rent. Uh, six, I could pay for cable. <laughs> and yeah, and then I was doing I was doing some voiceover auditions. Uh, I was very rarely getting called in on like musical theater auditions. I think I remember auditioning for – uh, the Wedding Singer, the musical. Mm -hmm. To play the rapping granny? Uh, of course. <laughs> Typecast as usual. No, I, I, I sang half a ballad, and I don't think they even looked up and they said, thank you so much. And, oh, I actually auditioned for Shrek, too. But that was a little later. I think uh, Heights had already existed. I, I really auditioned for that because I'm a fan of Janine Tesori, and I wanted to hear, what the f does Janine Tesori Shrek music sound like? And so I got to hear some of it, and I got a call back, and I, I didn't get it, but I got to hear, like, her pretty cool songs for Shrek. I want to play uh, you performing a song from what at the time was something you were working on mm -hmm. uh, called the Hamilton Mixtape, which you performed at a, at a night of performance poetry <laughs> and spoken word at the White House. Yep. Um, and... Not many of those happening these days, but <laughs> it's, yes, it used fair. to happen. It's a great performance, and um, you know everyone is liking it. But I I want to talk a little bit about what it was like to do it after we hear a bit of it. And this is this is like uh, the Obama administration was relatively new when when you're doing this. Well, the word got around, they said, this kid is insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came. And the world is going to know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. His name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things he hasn't done. But just you wait. Just you wait. So... Here's the thing I want to ask you about, Lynn. It's not um, it's not what's it like to perform at the White House for the president. Um, because I bet that's great. I don't know, you know. I presume it's great. He enjoyed it. He obviously enjoyed it. So there you go. You're 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 winning at the game of life when you're doing that. But um, the bigger question I had was: there's a lot of laughter in the room as you're doing that. Yeah. And you've got a line ready. You when when everyone laughs when you say what it is. I mean, you you kind of which I I mean honestly, if you want to see what I look like at my most terrified, it, play the first minute of the tape because I've never stammered that much in my life. I'm actually working on a hip hop album. Uh, it's a concept album about the life of someone I think embodies hip hop. Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. You laugh. But it's true. Um, he, was, uh, he was born a, a penniless orphan uh, in St. Croix of illegitimate birth, um, became George Washington's right-hand man, uh, became treasury secretary, caught beef with every other founding father, uh, and all on the strength of his writing. I think he embodies uh, the word's ability to make a difference. Uh, so this is a thesis. I'm presenting a thesis that I'm testing out um, in 
in the in front of the leader of the free world, uh, but also weirdly <laughs> Zach Braff and George Stephanopoulos and Saul <laughs> Williams and Spike Lee. Um, it was a pretty Mad Libsy room. I actually I won't perform unless Zach Braff is there. <laughs> oh, I think that's a great writer to have. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was. Uh, I needed to push through it, and I'm nervous until the music starts um, because I'm really proud of what I've written, and I think it presents a case for this guy went through a lot of and he wrote his way out of it, and that's what most of my favorite rappers have managed to do is go through some kind of struggle and rap about it so eloquently that people all over the world can understand it or 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 with it and um and so that was that was the thesis the thesis was he's a writer and my favorite hip-hop artists are writers and so there's a connection here you heard my interview with david diggs who starred in hamilton uh in the original cast and uh is a professional rapper otherwise in addition to being an actor and one of the things that he and i agreed upon immediately is that if anyone said to you, I'm doing a, a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton, your first reaction would be, what a horrible idea. Yeah, he had the grace not to say that to my face. <laughs> um, I'm sure he said it to Tommy, but... Uh, I think what he described saying to your face was, does it pay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if we're hungry enough, we'll take our, we'll take our jobs. Um, but I wonder if you, how aware you were that you were like, oh my God, I'm... Like, I mean, certainly we all tip our caps to Carmen, the hip hopera, the MTV television musical starring uh, most deaf and Beyonce. But like, this is a terrible idea. I understand all the reasons why it's a good idea as well. And I agree with them. And I saw it and I thought it was great. Uh, so I'll also stipulate that. <laughs> but, but like at every point in this, you have to convince people to give you money to do this and stuff. What a bananas thing to dedicate your life to, Lynn. I guess that's my question. <laughs> one of the one of the my favorite uh, or one of the most moving pieces of writing on it was actually uh, Mike Schur wrote an essay about Hamilton, and he wrote a description of it where he said, "I'm sure for six months, Lynn's friends would all kind of check in with each other, being like, "Is he all right?" Um, and it is to the eternal credit of my wife that I finished the second chapter of that book and thought and pitched it to her and be like, oh my God, this guy wrote his way from the Caribbean to New York. And she went, cool. Like just totally non-phased, not that's a terrible idea, not that's the best idea you've ever had. Just like, all right, cool, write it. Um, because I think that's, you know, you look to your loved ones first, but again, at the same time, I saw, I had that idea two chapters into the book and then it kept proving me right you know and then I get to the revolution and he's writing under a pseudonym uh, Publius not the best hip hop name but pretty good pseudonym is, <laughs> pseudonyms go and he's writing revolutionary tracts that thesis was strong enough to pull me through through the worried looks of my friends what was it like for you this is another question that I also asked David Diggs what was it like for you to deal with the consequences of making a hip hop thing in a social context where many of the people who are 
watching it um, and listening to it are not hip-hop people and may literally have no experience with hip-hop. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you actually put it more bluntly to David, which is, you know, what do you say to people who go, I, I don't like hip-hop, but I love this. Yeah, uh, and my answer I'm trying to, to be that nice was, to you, Lynn. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, but my answer to that, because I got that a fair amount, and my answer to that is, I'm so sorry you're missing so much of the show. And I would say that to them, um, because this is a show with a lot of on-ramps. Um, and again, it gets back to that bringing all of yourself into the room. There are as many musical theater references in this uh, as there are hip-hop references. Didn't you ever... Let me restate this. Lynn, you're famous for your generous spirit and warm spirit. And in the times that you and I have interacted in life, I have found that to be accurate. <laughs> Why does this sound like an insult? <laughs> but no, it's not leading to an insult. But like, didn't you ever just run out of patience with that mess? Like, with just people's weird sideways talk about hip-hop that was disguised as a compliment to your like the culmination of your life's work the thing that's going to be on your tombstone yeah but again at the same time we're 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 inviting everyone into the room um and uh <laughs> you know i think that throughout my career i've run into purists and snobbery from purists from both sides of this is hip hop, this isn't hip hop. This is musical theater, this isn't musical theater. Um, and I think the vast majority of us, um, the silent majority, if that weren't such a politically loaded word, the silent majority of us, just like good <laughs> that speaks to us and in whatever form that comes in. And uh, I just, um, you know, I, I really sort of, if there's any side mission I have in this career in terms of writing for theater, it's that, Popular music and theater music used to be the same thing. I wasn't alive during it. It's 70 years before us, but the Gershwins, you'd hear them on the radio and then you'd hear their song in the Broadway show that night. Or you'd hear uh, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein on the radio. And at certain point, those things split. Um, but I think it's my side mission to be like, I want to play musical theater music you can listen to loud in the radio, uh, loud in your car stereo. And and so I just bring everything I love to what I'm writing. So you are uh, a producer and some sometime member of Freestyle Love Supreme, who have a show on Broadway right now. Um, this is on the long list of things that uh, you and your colleagues have pulled off that I read about once was happening in New York and thought, what a terrible idea. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this is theatrical performance group grounded in uh, freestyle rapping. And since you're on my show, I'm going to make you rap. I hope that's okay. You, d you didn't make David rap, but... That's true. I didn't. I should have. Well, you know what? Can I tell? Yeah, can I tell you the truth? Yeah, I asked David if he would if he would uh, go off the dome, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> you made the mistake of saying yes, Lynn. David's 
incredibly good at it, but he gets, he's still really nervous about it before every show. But we're going to drop a beat that you will hear over the telephone. You and I are separated right now by 3,000 miles. So this will be like, uh, this will be like one of those rap records that somebody records while there's, you know, this is like one of those Shine albums that he recorded while he was still in prison. Because <laughs> um, you're rapping okay. over the telephone. It will sound, it will not sound like that to our audience because there's microphones on both ends, but. All right. Don't you, don't you link me up off beat, man. Yeah, no, no, we'll 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 get you on beat. Kevin, my producer Kevin's a drummer; he gets it. So Kevin, you, and you can rap about what you can rap about whatever you want. Do you need? Do you want anything more than that? How about I just sort of sum up what we've talked about in the past hour? Gorgeous. It turned up. Where's my snare? <laughs> okay. Before I was in bloom, we talked about what do you bring to the room. Do you stay up late nights wondering who you are when you're in Washington Heights? Or do you go down to the Upper East Side when they say Lin-Manuel, do you let that slide? Or do you say Lin, get real excited, say, okay, one day I'll be a writer. Then you figure it out. You push through your fear and your doubt. You go to college and you realize, I like musical theater and hip hop. Not scared to go off the top like David was. Cause that's the buzz. You just say whatever it is because you keep going. You try to write a f- show because you can't be Bernardo. You don't have that flow and you don't have that extension in your leg. You're not a Greek guy with brown makeup up on your face. You just can keep going till you write in the heights. Turns out nice. The beat's coming in and out, but I'm trying to stay light and on it. Is that enough? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> More than enough. God bless you, sir. Sorry, I was, I was. The beat was coming in and out while I was doing it. That was technical. That was technical difficulty level twelve out of ten. <laughs> you know what? That's like that's like uh, when uh, when my man from uh, what's dude from uh, uh, from Kimmy Schmidt called Titus. Yeah, Titus. <laughs> That's that's like when my man Titus was in Guys and Dolls on the um, on the Tony Awards on television and his mic went out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was very tough to hear that. <laughs> you you killed it, Lynn. God bless you for God bless you for doing that, and I I sure appreciate you taking the time to uh, come be on Bullseye. Um, I'm glad we I'm glad we made it happen, and th- thanks for thanks for all your kindness and support over the years. Awesome, thanks, man. Okay, talk to you later, Lynn. Okay, bye. Lin-Manuel Miranda, the one and only. The film version of Hamilton will premiere on Disney Plus July 3rd. Later that month, the documentary We Are Freestyle Love Supreme will go live on Hulu. And if you haven't streamed His Dark Materials, which features Lin, you can watch it now on HBO. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, my three-year-old recently informed me that he is married to his brother, my six-year-old, and also that he glows in the dark. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We also get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.